Let's pray together the prayer for elimination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the prayer of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. A lesson from the Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 and 17 through 18. So I came to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I got up during the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the animal I rode. I went out by night, by the valley gate, past the dragon's spring, and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer disgrace. I told them that the hand of my God had been gracious upon me and also the words that the king had spoken to me. Then they said, let us start building. So they committed themselves to the common good. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. To be seated, and if any of the children in the sanctuary want to come forward and sit with me for a minute, I'd love to have you join me. Yay! And if you're worshiping online, just get a little closer to your screen, and we'll have a special moment together. So you've got a Pentecost flame. That's so cool. Welcome, welcome. I'm so glad to see you all today. Well, I want to teach you a special word that if you're part of the church, it's good to know this word. It starts with a P, potluck. <laughs> Aha, see, y'all were thinking Pentecost, weren't you? That's an important word too, but today I want to tell you what a potluck is. Have you ever heard of a potluck? It's a meal. And when the church comes together for a meal, sometimes we call it a potluck. That means that everybody makes their own dish at home, and then you bring it to share at the church. We did this just a couple of months ago. We had a potluck supper, and there were some people who brought this delicious kale salad with pine nuts. It was really fancy. Somebody brought macaroni and cheese, and there were mashed potatoes and sausage and fried chicken, and then the dessert table. Oh, you should have seen the dessert table. Brownies and cookies and pies, and it was just wonderful. I love brownies too, and there were lots of them to eat. So when I go to a potluck dinner, it makes me think about that's sort of what the church is. We each come with our own gifts that God has given us, our own talents, our own lives and stories, but when we share them, it's a feast, and there's more than enough for everybody. So our story today is a little bit about everybody doing their part for the common good, to make things better for everybody. And I couldn't help but think about that yummy potluck. So next time we have a potluck, y'all are invited. Let's pray. 
Gracious God, we thank you so much that we get to be part of the church. And this day, Pentecost, is the birthday of the church. We celebrate the many, many gifts that you give to us as individuals that we can then bring and share and experience your feast. Thank you for being part of this church and the love we receive and the love we get to share. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, three, four, and five-year-olds get to go to children's church with Pastor Maggie and Pastor Francis. And if you're younger or older than that, you can go back and sit with parents or friends. If you are worshiping with us for the first time today or maybe haven't been here in a little while, it's Pentecost. The pyramids have changed to red. We have these beautiful doves that some of our children made a couple of years ago. This is normally the Sunday when we read the story in the second chapter of Acts about how the followers of Jesus received the gift of the Holy Spirit and then were sent out to spread the gospel. So you may be wondering, why in the world did Beth just read from the book of Nehemiah? What does Nehemiah have to do with Pentecost? <clears throat> well, that's my job today. As some of you know, um, we are reading through the Bible this year as a congregation. And as I was working on the plan and thinking about which Sundays we would work through which books, going through in the order, the canonical order, I realized that Ezra and Nehemiah were going to hit on Pentecost. And I thought, oh, what in the world am I going to do about this? But as I read the story of Ezra and Nehemiah again this week, there are so many things that speak into the Pentecost moment as well. And I'm hoping I can help us make that connection today. I think it's a pretty Holy Spirit thing that Heath Jones was able to find a work of art for the cover of our bulletin that's Nehemiah with a flame coming out of his head. Because that's what happened on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit landed on each of the believers and it looked like the flames of fire. So let's give it a try. Here we are in the book of Nehemiah. Now it's important to know where we are in the history of Israel at this point. So my apologies to the students who've just finished your exams. I'm going to have to do a little history review for us to get us all on the same page. So we have been in the histories, the book's called the histories, since the book of Joshua. So what happened before that, the Israelites were flee freed from slavery in Egypt. God, through the leadership of Moses, led the people out of slavery into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. That journey, for various reasons, lasted 40 years. The book of Joshua opens with the people settling into the promised land. They finally arrive. They live in that land for several generations. They're governed by these judges, which we hear about in the book of Judges, who rise up to lead from time to time. And then when we get to 1 Samuel, the people ask for a king. We talked about that a few weeks ago. God didn't want them to have a king, but God allowed them to have a king. So they start with King Saul, then King David, then King Solomon. These are the three kings who ruled over the whole of Israel. But after Solomon, the kingdom splits into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the books of 1 and 2 Kings tell the stories of the various kings over Israel and Judah, most of whom were not particularly faithful to God, many of whom turned to other gods, and then problems arose. 
By the end of 2 Kings, we see the end of both of these kingdoms. The northern kingdom of Israel is the first to fall. The Assyrian army comes in, destroys their cities, drags people away in exile. The southern kingdom resists. But a couple of hundred years later, it happens to them too. This time, it's the Babylonians. They've taken over the Assyrian empire. Now it's all about the Babylonians. They come in into Judah, destroy the temple in Jerusalem, burn the city of Jerusalem to the ground, destroy its walls, and take many of its citizens into exile. And so much of this history that I've just recounted to you is going to be, that's where many of the books of the prophets that we're going to be reading this summer plug in. They'll be talking and speaking into these different moments of the history of Israel. But the end of the histories comes with Ezra and Nehemiah, these two little books that tell the story of the people's return. Because you see what happens is the Babylonians are overtaken by the Persians. So we have the Persian Empire now, and the emperor of the Persian Empire is Cyrus the Great. And he has a different attitude toward these other lands. He believes in religious tolerance And so he issues a decree that all of the exiles can now go home and begin to rebuild. And so the books of Ezra and Nehemiah tell the story of rebuilding, rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city. These two books used to be one book, but sometime in the 1500s, for reasons, they were separated. But the first tells the story of the priest Ezra, who comes and rebuilds the temple who establishes once again the heart of the worship life of God's people. And then later, a few decades later, comes Nehemiah. And his job is to rebuild the city wall, to rebuild the city. And so we have this story of restoration and rebuilding. And I think we see in this book, Ezra Nehemiah, a pattern One of those themes, one of those patterns that we can see throughout the scriptures in different ways. We see the building of the temple, the worship life, the the relationship with God, and the rebuilding of the city, the work out in the community, the, the vertical and the horizontal. We actually see it in a little microcosm in the book of Nehemiah itself. The book opens with Nehemiah working for the king of Artaxerxes of Persia. And the king notices that Nehemiah is sad and asks, why are you sad? And Nehemiah says, my, my homeland is in shambles. And the king says, well, what do you want to do? And Nehemiah stops and says, let me go pray about it. Let me go seek the wisdom of my God. So before he takes action, he takes time to pray and to commune with God. And from that, he comes and says, I want to go back and rebuild the city walls. And so the emperor sends him to do that. So we have this steeped in prayer, listening for the voice of God, and then going out to lead and take action. We see that same rhythm in the life of Jesus. We read so much about his ministry walking through Galilee and healing and teaching and whoever comes into his presence, he meets them as they are and yet he does regularly withdraw. He goes up the mountain or out into the desert 
to commune with God, to pray. Before he even begins his public ministry, he spends 40 days in the wilderness communing with God and grounding himself in his relationship with God. We see it on the day of Pentecost. Ah, see, here's the connection. The followers of Jesus are all gathered together in one place. Jesus had told them before, he, before his ascension, stay in Jerusalem, stay together, worship and pray until word comes. And so they're praying and they're worshiping and they're listening. And then the Holy Spirit comes and fills them up. And then they go out and spread the gospel all over the world. So in that story, there's the, the vertical and the horizontal. It's really very Methodist, if you think about it. John Wesley, who got the Methodist movement going, taught very clearly about holiness of heart and life, about works of piety and works of mercy. The works of piety are those things like prayer, reading scripture, attending worship, receiving the sacraments. Works of mercy are those outward things that we do in the community for the common good to make this world around us look more like the kingdom of God. And we need both. We always need both. We need the rhythm of the back and forth. And I think this pattern that we see in scripture and in our Methodist tradition is exactly who we are called to be and who we are ever becoming. My prayer is that West End United Methodist Church can be a congregation that you can be a part of, that you can come to worship on Sundays and be filled with the Holy Spirit, have your soul nurtured and filled, where you can be part of relationships that, that surround you with a community of love and forgiveness, as we say in our baptism liturgy where you can learn to practice love and be held accountable for those things, where you can read the scriptures and grow ever deeper in love with God. And that we would also be a congregation that is out building up the city, working for the common good. And this congregation has a long tradition of doing just that. In this day, at this time, God has placed this community of faith in the middle of this city. Now, we didn't used to be in the middle of the city. After the 845 service, Bonnie C. said, um, you know, Vanderbilt and West End United Methodist were founded in 1873, the same year. And she said the first line of the Vanderbilt alma mater is on, wait, how's it go? Is it He's Western border. On the city's western border. We used to be on the city's western border. Well, we're not on the western border anymore. We're not the suburbs anymore. We are downtown. I look out my window and I see eight or nine cranes all the time, all the building going on in our city. And this is our city. These are our people. We belong to one another. When Nehemiah entered the city of Jerusalem, he saw a city in trouble. That's what it says in the first chapter. The city was in trouble. And our city has some troubles. In the month of January, on one night in January, they took account of the people who were living in homelessness. 
There are about 1,200 who were sheltered for the night in ministries like Room in the Inn that we participate in. But there were almost 700 who were not sheltered, living on the streets in our city with nowhere to go. This week we got news of the reading scores of third graders in our community. And we see how our schools, many of our schools are needing support from the community to be able to to educate these children because they're our children. They're not somebody else's children, they're our children. And what we see in this book of Nehemiah is the people of God committing themselves to the common good. We don't have enough folks committing themselves to the common good these days. And as the people of God, that is our calling. We can't do it all, but what can we do as a congregation with a deep foundation in faith, believing in the power of the Holy Spirit to build up our city? I don't know about you, but I feel like the Spirit is moving at West End. I think we we are emerging from this pandemic, thanks be to God. We're kind of coming out of hopefully moving through this difficult time in our denomination, and we are a beacon on a hill, a place of love and inclusion and joy and hope, and God can do so much through us. So I want to invite all of us to be in a season of prayer, of discernment and listening for the big things that that God can and may want to do through us to build up this city for the common good, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, and for the glory of God. Amen.